0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 39 called Dorette. So guys, I wanna talk to you about today's sponsor, which is Extend Fertility. When I interviewed my fertility specialist, Dr. Joshua Klein, in a past episode of Infertile AF, I was super impressed with his new clinic. I went there and saw them in action and what they're doing and how they are forward thinking in terms of fertility. How they're being a little bit of a disruptor in the industry. I love that. They're really founded on the premise of democratizing egg freezing and IVF so that they could change the industry and deliver better results. Dr. Klein and I talked a lot about how it's important to him that he makes it less miserable for people going through infertility, which I thought was super important. And in the past two years since they've been open, they've become one of the largest egg freezing practices in the country with over 2,500 cycles. And one of the best things, I think is that they're super transparent about their prices. So some of you may have experienced a little bit of what we went through, which was a little bit of a bait and switch when you go into your clinic and they tell you it's going to cost X amount, but Oh, if you want this, that and the other thing, it's going to be this much more, but they don't tell you that till later. So extend doesn't do that. They are super transparent. They lay it all out there and say it is what it is, but they have financing and flexible payment options and they're actually priced up to 40% lower than a lot of the other egg freezing clinics. So they do egg freezing. They've started to do IVF as well. And if you're interested in either of those things, definitely check them out at extendfertility.com. Dr. Durette Noor Hassan is the medical director and co-founder of CCRM Dallas Fort Worth. She is a reproductive endocrinologist and an infertility specialist and she has recently come out with a new memoir called Miracle Baby: A Fertility Doctor's Fight for Motherhood. So today, Durette and I are going to talk about her personal struggles with having her baby and all the options she tried before successfully bringing her son into the world via surrogacy. But we're also going to talk about how she was going through it at home while also treating patients at the same time, and it's kind of fascinating how she balanced both those sides of her journey. So, without further ado, This is Durette's infertility story. Hi, Durette. How are you today?
1: Good, Allison. So good to meet you.
0: Good. So good to meet you, too. I'm so thrilled that you wanted to talk to this podcast because you have a book out. It's called Miracle Baby, A Fertility Doctor's Fight for Motherhood. And I just told you before we started recording, it's so compelling and your life has been so interesting and rich and just full of amazing experiences and amazing stories. So I read it all super quickly and I thought it was so wonderful. And first of all, congratulations on writing it. And secondly, we're going to get into a lot of the stuff in the book and focusing a lot on the infertility stuff and you as a fertility specialist as well. I love a good memoir. I'm such a fan. Uh, Tell me about you grew up in Guyana. Is that how you say it?
1: Yeah. So I was born in Guyana. Guyana, Guyana is the only English speaking country in South America. And it used to be British Guyana and that, you know, they got their independence uh, many decades ago from uh, Great Britain. And so now it's Guyana. So uh, my parents are from there. And that's where I was born. Um, We left when I was four and we traveled a little bit through the Caribbean um, before ultimately settling on St. Croix.
0: So you talk about there's a couple of, you know, you had some early tragedies in your life as a child. Your mom was was pregnant when you were. Were you five when with your sister Nikki?
1: Oh, yeah. So my mom was pregnant and she delivered, and my sister was about seven months old. And uh, she started having massive vomiting and diarrhea. And essentially, what's just a simple gastrointestinal bug that, you know, it's very common you see in children here in America. She got very dehydrated very quickly because she couldn't keep anything down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she was about seven months old. And my parents were driving en route to the hospital when my mom said to my dad, I think this baby just died in my arms, which actually was the case. And, you know, it, it's very tough, you know, as a mother, um, you know, my mom having her child die in her arms. Yeah. Um, but for me as a child, I mean, I wasn't in the car when they were heading to the hospital. Um, So they, they, you know, came home and told us what happened. But um, I went to the funeral and I was five years old. And I remember standing there at at the graveyard, seeing this tiny casket go six feet under. Yeah. And uh, that was very difficult.
0: Yeah. I'm so sorry. That must have really kind of shaped you as a kid and shaped your whole family. And I know you write about that so eloquently that, you know, your parents kind of, you never get over that, right? I mean, that's the kind of grief that you just kind of, it's always there.
1: I think a lot of it has to do with my, my mother's reproductive history. So that, you know, that was the first child that she lost. And then she was pregnant again several years later um, with another child. Um, and this one was due to deliver on my eighth birthday. And uh, um, she showed up to the hospital and uh, turns out it was the baby; just the heartbeat didn't have a heartbeat anymore. Mm-hmm. And it had a heartbeat the previous week when she was at a prenatal visit. So, seeing my mom go through those difficult obstetrical history, and then you know the subsequent pregnancy, um, she was about a few weeks short of her due date, and um, goes to her doctor for routine prenatal care. And, you know, her legs are swollen. Swollen. Her blood pressure is very high. She tell you know the doctor tells her that she has severe preeclampsia, which is a condition of pregnancy where your blood pressure can be high. You can have protein in the urine. Um, it could result in seizures, um, complications with the pregnancy, and ultimately losing the pregnancy. So she had to deliver that same day. And it was very difficult for my mother because the two previous pregnancies you know, or two previous children, she lost five years forward. So my, my brother, who was born at um, the last pregnancy, mm-hmm. five years forward, my mom was in the kitchen and uh, passed out from just severe hemorrhaging, essentially. And uh, she knew she had fibroids. She knew how, she, I don't think she knew how severe they were. Um, and so she had bleeding from her fibroids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she had to go to the hospital, and um, it, it turns out she needed a transfusion. And I'm not sure if they didn't have blood there or they had blood, but you know they my patients were worried about receiving blood. I, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. turns out my dad ended up giving her a pint of blood. Um, luckily, they have the same blood type, and and so um, and then ultimately she had a hysterectomy. But watching my mother go through multiple obstetrical, and gynecological conditions certainly planted a seed in me that I should pursue becoming a doctor and even pursue obstetrics and gynecology. So those were the events that, you know, led to me thinking, well, maybe I should pursue this mode of or this career path.
0: Right. So when did you ultimately decide that you did want to go to medical school?
1: I finished high school when I was 16 years old. And the truth is, I wasn't completely sure what I wanted to do. I think I I wanted to pursue medicine, but I didn't have any doctors in the family. I didn't know anyone really to to talk to. So I started volunteering at hospitals and um, helping the elderly. And Mm -hmm. those kind of gave me some experience. Um, And I applied to several programs or several colleges under their biology program and then others under their pre-med program. Eventually You know, I went to college at home at the University of Virgin Islands in their biology program. And uh, the Boston University School of Medicine, they have an early medical school selection program. And uh, during my sophomore year of college, I applied for this early medical school selection program and uh, luckily was uh, accepted. And so that's how I got into medical school. Um, I think you know, a large part of me wanted to be a doctor, but, you know, I didn't have any family members that were doctors. So I had to go and gain some experience for myself to figure out if this is truly what I wanted to do. There are uh, many rotations that are required of you. So I remember uh, starting off with obstetrics and oncology because I really wanted to go in that field and I absolutely loved it. But then I started rotating through every field, internal medicine, general surgery, um, you know, and I kept liking every single thing that I rotated through. And so at the end of those clinical rotations, at the end of my third year, um, I had to make a decision as to what I really wanted to do. And I ended up choosing obstetrics and gynecology. One, it was the, the real reason I went to medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the subject that I'm the most passionate about. And it allows me to do some medicine. It allows me to do some surgical procedures and allows me to take care of women and children. So that's ultimately how I ended up pursuing obstetrics and gynecology.
0: Mm -hmm. And as you said, that seed had been planted from your mom and family members and what went on as a kid, which I think is so interesting and so cool that, you know, what shapes you as a kid can really affect the career that you go into how was it once you got into it was it everything that you were hoping it would be and are you still super passionate about it obviously i think since you wrote this book and many other journals and articles and everything i would say probably yes right
1: yes i'm still very super passionate about what i do for a living i'm one of those people that wake up early excited to start the day and you know from my perspective i have a very rewarding job i get to make or help make uh, people's dreams come true in terms of starting a family or continuing to grow their family every single day. And that's a very, very
0: rewarding job. So tell me, once you started doing it, where were you at in your own life? Because a, part of the reason that I also wanted to talk to you today is because you had an infertility struggle and fertility struggle yourself, which I always think is so interesting when mm-hmm. you know someone's going through it themselves and is also in the medical profession, you're, you were dealing with patients too. Mm -hmm. So what was, was it concurrent? Like, did you know when you had the infertility fellowship that you were going to have issues with it or had you not started trying yet? Or what's the chronology in terms of that?
1: Yeah. So when I uh, was in my infertility fellowship, I I had not started trying to get pregnant. I I was not even married at that point. In uh, my early twenties, I was severely ill and it turns out that uh, it was due to a heart defect that I was born with so I was probably um, my mid probably closer to my late 30s actually and you know I hadn't met the right person and at that point I felt like having a child was more important than sitting around waiting for the right person or just marrying anyone just because I think I need to have a child. And so I, you know, because now I'm now because I'm in the field of infertility, I decided I'm going to use the tools in my tool bag. And so uh, first I froze eggs. And usually, you know, you want to freeze by 38. But even if you could freeze in your 20s or early 30s, that's probably even the better time. to freeze. Mm -hmm. And so I, I decided to freeze a batch of eggs. And you know, I only got four eggs at retrieval, and that was it. But mm-hmm. that was a wake-up call for me mm-hmm. um, because I got to see how my body responded to medications mm-hmm. and how much I can produce in one setting, which is four is actually fairly on the low side. Um, right. Did you freeze the four? So I froze the four. Okay. And then, a year and a half, almost two years. ago, It's almost two years later. Um, I was, I think, just shy of my thirty-eighth birthday that I decided, you know what, if I made four eggs, you know, a year and a half or two years ago, um, who knows where I am right now, and I just need to just kind of make some real decisions here. So I decided, well, maybe I will pursue this surrogacy. And so it was difficult, you know, finding a surrogate. Um, I utilized an agency, which was helpful, but it's still, there's not a lot of women who want to be surrogates, and then trying to find someone where, you know, close to where I live and all those other things made it difficult. Right. So I found a surrogate and decided to, you know, I decided I was going to pursue pregnancy at that point, you know, I was self-sufficient. I bought my own house. I, I was doing okay. And um, sorry to interrupt,
0: but did you, you knew for certain that you weren't going to be able to carry a baby because of yeah. your heart condition? So right. I started,
1: I started thinking about that. I had was investigating that for about three, four years prior to okay. that. I'd seen a hematologist you know, uh OBGYN, cardiologist, like several people. Um, uh-huh. you know, kind of the safer path to go was the the surrogacy, and so um, well, I needed a source of sperm because I have a source of eggs, but I, uh, not a source of sperm. So, um, researched various cryobanks, which are places that reproductive cells are uh, collected and stored, um, and found a sperm donor and had the sample shipped and. You know, I went through the IVA process um, and this time I made six eggs, which is slightly more, but it's roughly the same. I make four to six every retrieval, mm-hmm. every retrieval essentially. But the six eggs were enough to give me three embryos. And so we transferred two the first time to the surrogate and she did not get pregnant. And You know, I felt in my heart that she should, you know, that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to work and I'm just going to be a mom very soon. And it, Right. Very, very disappointing. You know, I came to terms with that I was a single woman, that I was doing this, that I was even doing sperm. that I was going to use surrogacy. I mean, I came to terms with so many things. Mm -hmm. And I was, I felt comfortable and accepted all those things. And then I put a lot of time and effort and emotion into the whole process. And so I was, I felt like, you know, it was going to work. You know, because in theory, you know, someone like myself, who is uh, somewhat type A, if you put the time and energy and work into it, usually you get the results. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case with pregnancy at all. So I was really devastated, actually. But I knew I had to be the strong one. I had to make sure that the surrogate was okay, too, because she felt, you know, I don't want her to feel like, you know, this was her fault by any means at right. all. I so can imagine you know, they
0: must feel kind of guilty too. You know, that must yeah, be really it's difficult it's, for everybody.
1: It's tough for everyone. So, you know, I, I called her pretty, pretty quickly and said, you know, what, we still have one more embryo. Let's do it again. You know, it's going to work. Try to, you know, make her hopeful." And um, we did it. We, so we transferred to the first time that didn't work, but we transferred the last embryo, um, you know, a couple of months later. And that didn't work either. Okay. Um and so I, I hadn't utilized my four frozen eggs. I still left those just in case I ever needed them. And, um, mm-hmm. But I'd used the, the eggs from that most recent cycle, or you know, embryos that were created from that most recent cycle. And um, it didn't work. And the truth is I needed a mental break because I I wasn't ready for failure. I wasn't ready to move to the next step. I wasn't ready to do it again. I... I thought I had gone through you know all the, all the things I could control for and fix before even going into the process that you know I thought well maybe it should have should have worked. Um, one of the things I did not do, which is um, you know not as big back then as it is now is genetic testing of the embryos. That testing did exist, but it wasn't commonly done back then. I'm mm-hmm. um, trying this was many years ago that, we, um, that I did this. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I needed a break. I just I needed a break because, you know, if I was going to do this again, or maybe I should just adopt. And, you know, I mean, there's tons of children out there that needed right um, someone to take care of me. I should just, you know, start pushing myself through this, just, just adopt and not worry about it. And then if I was going to adopt, why do I have to adopt at that point in time? I could still sit around and wait for a few more years and then adopt. But, you know, I had all these things, all these options that I was considering, and I just needed some time to just stop, take a big breath, and then figure out what I really wanted to do next. So, um, so
0: meanwhile, what was going on at work? Were you, you were treating infertility patients? in yeah, your, yeah. Okay, so how was, how was that, like going through it yourself, and then going to work and dealing with it, and also seeing, you know, the roller coasters and the highs and lows that other people were going on? That must have you know, been pretty hard emotionally and mentally as well.
1: Because yeah. you kind of can't get away from it, right? It, it never really affected my work. Like it was just, you know, work was work. And right. As doctors, we get, we know how to just put on a professional face. And someone right. like who it has lived real life tragedies, I knew how to just like, okay, life could still be worse than what it is right now. It's going to be okay. The second pregnancy test was negative on a Friday. And I think that Saturday morning, I called the surrogate, I called the agency, and I just can't kind of canceled everything else after yeah. that but interestingly that same saturday night i go to a halloween party and i just i'm just going because you know my friend invited me and i'm going to a party and i figured it was it would be something nice to do anyways cuz that way i don't have to sit and think about what's going on in my own head i can just go out and socialize and i went to the party just thinking i was going to be there for a few hours i remember i was about to leave and went to the restroom and came back that's where I met my husband. Um, mm-hmm. So he was dressed as a chef, and he struck up a conversation with me. And wait, dressed um, as a what? He was dressed as a chef, um, a chef.
0: And, yeah, he was dressed. This is as like a, a, a romantic comedy moment. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I was dressed as a vampire, and uh, he struck oh, up a cute! Over my my cup that you know I left sitting on the table, right? And then you know he texted me the next day, and you know. Several months later, uh, we got married. Wow.
0: Cool. uh, I love mm -hmm. that. So then did you guys start talking right away about having kids or how did it go for the two of you?
1: After we got engaged, Mm -hmm. I brought it up Um, and, you know, everything happened really fast. Um, So we got engaged after just dating four months and um, we got married after knowing each other for only eight months. And You know, right after we got engaged, I I brought it up because he had to know moving forward this would be our reality, and he was okay with that, and I was okay if he was okay with it or if he wasn't okay with it because I was okay with me, and, you know, I had already done the IVF. I was very comfortable with donor egg. I'm sorry, with donor sperm. I was very comfortable with surrogacy. Mm -hmm. I had gone through the process. I was comfortable with, you know. Mm -hmm. With everything moving forward and I just I needed to know who he was and um, turns out he was and um, so um, you know he was now my new sperm donor so then we did another IVF cycle again I need four to six eggs um, mm-hmm. that's usually the range um, that I make and um, we his uh, sample was not good the day of the egg retrieval the embryos were not good um, and we, we didn't have anything. essentially, we didn't have any embryos. Oh, um, sorry. It's okay. So we decided, okay, we also have to work on him. Um, so he went to a urologist um, and turns out he had surgery um, 10 days before our wedding day. So the clock was really running on us. I mean, I was in my very early 30s at this point and, you know, he was in his mid-40s and we just needed to do things as fast as possible and so um, we got married we waited about six months or so and then we did the next IVF cycle which this would be now my my fourth egg retrieval okay and um, with that fourth egg retrieval I thawed the four frozen eggs um, from that that was frozen several years prior gotcha. and so we had a bigger batch of embryos uh, and we had three embryos this time and We send them off for genetic testing, and they didn't. They were not euploid, meaning having the right number of chromosomes or gene regions. And I, this is the point where I felt like I really broke down because Mm -hmm. now I had done four retrievals. Every single time I do it, you know, I make the same thing: four to six eggs. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we try as much as we can to to correct for you know, from the last retrieval to the next to correct whatever steps we thought we could correct for, and still uh, nothing. So at this point, I decided, you know what, I can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. So I said, let's use donor eggs. So donor egg means now we would have to use, uh it's, it's also anonymous, like donor sperm is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, unless you have a known donor, but you know, we would uh, get eggs from an anonymous donor, fertilized with my husband's sperm, create embryos, and then ultimately transfer it to a surrogate. Mm-hmm. And uh, my husband was not okay with that. He, he's like, if we're going to use donor egg and a surrogate, then, you know, I mean, we might as well just adopt. that. Mm. So, so then I didn't know what... The next step was because from my standpoint, I can keep doing the same thing over and over. Right. And from his standpoint, well, the child is not going to be biologically related to his wife and his wife's not going to carry the child. So why is yeah. he doing this?
0: Right. How did how did that affect you guys? That must have been tough for you to hear.
1: Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. So, um, you know, we... We thought about it and talked about it and then let the conversation go for a few weeks and thought about it and talked mm-hmm. about it, let the conversation go for a few weeks. And yeah, that went for about a few months, actually. And I did, I asked him to look at a few donors and, you know, we found a couple of uh, anonymous donors um, of Indian descent here uh, in Texas, but mm-hmm. um, he didn't like any of the profiles. And so finally I said, I, I just, don't know what to do because I feel like if I do this again, I'm going to get the same result again. Yeah. So he said, "Just do one more egg retrieval, and if if this one egg retrieval doesn't work, we're going to adopt." And so okay. I said, "Okay, I'll do one more egg retrieval." And you know, I did same thing, same same medicines, you know, same everything essentially. Got four to six eggs again, and uh, I I really didn't have hope that this would work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I had the same results for four cycles. Right. Why was this cycle going to be different? Yeah, that so, makes perfect sense. Yeah, so same thing, I made four to six eggs and we had one embryo total that was frozen. So we had to wait for the genetic results and I wasn't hopeful I had three embryos the previous cycle between the fresh and the frozen eggs from the previous from um, two cycles ago. You know, I had three embryos and none were normal. So why was mm-hmm. this one embryo going to be normal? And I get a oh, call that it's a normal embryo. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we were so excited. That's and, a great uh, phone call to get. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, and so we, we, were, we were very excited. We celebrated. We were very happy. But then here comes the harder stuff it was finding a surrogate because now we we're going to be so picky because mm-hmm. we only have one shot at this. Yes. So we interviewed numerous circuits. We thought we had found the right person. Then she, um, she both she and her husband were probably going to leave, uh, the company that they both were for was probably going to not work out, and they probably would have to move. And so then we went back to the drawing table. We thought we met another person, but it, you know they didn't get cleared medically to be a circuit, and uh, it went on and on for a little while. And uh, I don't know. I think we interviewed probably. Over a dozen people, I think. I can't remember. It was just so many. It got to the point of where my husband and I were so good at the interviews. We knew exactly what questions to ask, Mm -hmm. exactly what we were looking for. It got to be too routine, actually. But we knew we only had one shot at it. And we wanted someone, uh, the right person. We wanted someone who had done surrogacy before, someone who was okay with many things and lived our healthy lifestyle. And we were aligned with this person. We wanted someone who we felt we could work with. We wanted someone who lived in Texas. So it, it took a little while to find the right person. And we, we, by luck, found someone who was not a surrogate in the past, but she personally had done IVF to have her children. The transfer day rolled around, and the transfer happened, and then we waited, and and then the pregnancy test was positive, and we wow. were excited. We were really excited.
0: Yeah, um, I can only imagine after all that.
1: Yeah. We were really excited, and uh, but we were also very guarded, and to some degree had lost so much hope from previous failures mm-hmm. that you know we didn't allow our excitement to get to get the best of us. We were like, okay, it's a small excitement, but we'll wait until we have an actual baby in our arms. Our delivery date rolled around, and it all happened so quickly, and so you know, with just within a few months, it was time to have a baby. And wow. uh, I remember one of my girlfriends. You know, I I told her what had happened, and you know that we assured was pregnant. And I showed her the pictures and all of that. And she wanted to throw me a baby shower, and I'm like, no, you cannot throw me a baby shower because you're going to jinx me. I've had so much bad luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after she finally wore me down uh, about this baby shower, um, I'm like, fine, okay, we'll just do it. But it has to be like just maybe only a month the delivery, maybe only three weeks before the delivery, because I don't want to jinx it. Everything happened so quickly, I mean, uh by, she checked in first thing in the morning, and by lunchtime, she delivered. I mean, it was a very, very smooth process, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the only request I had was that I get to hold the baby first, mm-hmm. and uh, that was really nice.
0: And how old is Leo now? be two in a couple months. Oh, congratulations. Wow. You were in it. You went through it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It took many, many, many years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that. Just going back to the book a little bit, you know, you, you were so determined despite all the struggles and setbacks and heartbreak. And that's one of the things that I love talking to people on this podcast is that You know, it's these children that come out of these stories are so desperately wanted. And I just think that's so cool for kids to to know how hard their parents fought to have them, you know. Hey, again, guys, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Durette. Make sure to check out her book if you want to hear more about her story. And also, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast because that way you get the episodes the second they are fresh out the kitchen. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next time.